Welcome to Cauldron Conversations. I'm Kimberly. And I'm Sophie. And today we're going to be talking about magical traditions and traditional witchcraft. We're glad you're here. Many people have done magic or believed in magic at some point, even if they didn't realize it. For example, blowing on a dandelion. I love that you mentioned blowing on dandelions because even at the age I am now, I still love doing that. And several years ago, my husband and I stopped using any kind of, um, you know, insecticides and pesticides on our grass. And so we get more dandelions now than we used to. And my husband gets so frustrated, you know, if a wind comes along or if I go out there and blow on the dandelions like we like to do sometimes. And, you know, they go scattering on the wind and new dandelions start growing. He sees them as weeds and grumbles about them. But I don't. I see them as a bunch of wishes that haven't been granted yet, but will be. That's awesome. Then there's blowing out candles on the birthday cake and making a wish. How many of us have done that? I still do it. And I still cross my fingers. Oh, yeah. And I still remember that little rhyme from when I was a child. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might, have the wish I wish tonight. There's no telling how many times I said that growing up. And speaking of stars, have you wished on a falling star? I have. I have. Labor Day weekend, um, my husband and I meet some friends up in the mountains every year. We've been doing it for years. And there is a field that if we have a clear night while we're there, we go spread blankets and we lay out and watch the stars. And we almost always see at least one shooting star while we're there. And it's just really neat. And then there's knock on wood. I think we've all done that at one time or another. And then tossing spill salt over your left shoulder. Whether I spill it or Spencer spills it, it still gets tossed over my left shoulder. Oh, yeah. And then there's the lucky rabbit's foot and buckeyes. People like to carry those in their pockets or their purse. I do carry a buckeye in my purse. That's cool. I, I, I've never used either, but I'm familiar with them. Some people like to hang horseshoes over their door. Just remember to hang them open side up so the good luck doesn't spill out. That's interesting because I've heard it both ways growing up, so I get confused. Open side up to hold your magic or open side down to let the magic spread? Oh, I never thought about it that way, but that's kind of a cool way to look at it, too. And I've never found one, but I hear there are four-leaf clovers out there. Well, I've only found one or two in my life, but I do know someone who has a knack for finding them. And I'm, i got to say I'm a little jealous whenever she finds a new one. I would be, too. And then there are lucky pennies. Find a penny, pick it up all day long. You'll have good luck. And then there's the head or tails thing. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, some people say if it's heads, pick it up. If it's tails, let it stay. Uh-huh. I say a penny's a penny. It's free money. <laughs> well, you've got me there. That, that's very true. We're not talking about magicians and magic tricks performed on the stage. Magic is around us should you choose to believe in it and embrace it. Some witches spell magic, adding a K onto the end to distinguish between craft magic and magicians' tricks and illusions. On our last episode, we spoke of today's Halloween being a combination of traditions from all over the world. The same can be said for magic. Many traditions have combined over many years, and this has created a gray area of sorts 
rather than a clear defining line between those traditions. The use of herbs, rituals, and healing are common in different magical traditions. The great thing about eclectic magic is that it's kind of freelance. You can pull things from other magical traditions into your own work and make a unique magical practice that is yours and yours alone. It's all about working with what resonates with you. The first magical tradition we're going to talk about is powwow. While the word powwow is typically associated with Native American culture, in this case, powwow refers to an old Pennsylvania Dutch tradition. The name comes from the book, Powwows or the Long Lost Friend by John George Holman, published in 1820. He applied the word powwow to folk magic. The book was a collection of spells, recipes, and remedies based on folklore from Europe. It was a mix of Christian prayers, magic words, and rituals used to cure things such as headaches, bruises, and burns. Hex signs popular on Pennsylvania Dutch barns and buildings are believed to be a part of this tradition. I love seeing them on the buildings when we travel through Pennsylvania. We drive to New York a few times a year, and there's a section of Pennsylvania we drive through where you can see the hex signs on the barns, and I just think they're so cool. Many of the charms used in powwow are believed to have their root in medieval Catholic charms against evil. Bible is important in the powwow. The sixth and seventh books of Moses, a magical text attributed to Moses, is important in the powwow. Appalachian granny magic is another magical tradition. Granny women, or sometimes granny witches as they were known, were healers and midwives in the rural Appalachian mountains, primarily from the 1880s through the 1930s. But their tradition goes back much further than that. Appalachian granny magic dates back to the early Appalachian settlers who came from Ireland and Scotland in the 1700s. They brought very old Irish and Scottish magical traditions with them when they came to what is now the United States. Those traditions were then blended with the traditions of the Cherokee to create what we now call Appalachian granny magic. It was handed down from generation to generation and generally not taught outside of one's family. Because these traditions were handed down orally, the meanings of some of the spells have been lost to time. Some of these granny witches were more in tune with the elements. Some were called water witches because they practiced dowsing, a technique used for searching for water. Some lean more toward healing and midwifery. They delivered babies and made herbal remedies. Some practiced divination, seeking knowledge of the future by reading tea leaves or coffee grounds. Beth Ward writes in her book, The Long Tradition of Folk Healing Among Southern Appalachian Women. These women knew that catnip tea or red alder tea kept infants from getting hives. They prescribed stewed-down calamus root to help soothe colic. 
They put sulfur in the soles of shoes to help ease flu symptoms. And if someone came to them with a bad burn, they knew that blowing smoke and chanting the right words could talk the fire out. Looking back, I believe my Aunt Thelma might have practiced a combination of granny magic and hoodoo. She was able to talk the fire out of a burn, and people in the community would come to her for that. She could also remove a wart. When I was a little girl, I had a wart on my finger, and my dad took me to see her. She rubbed my wart and said some prayer or something like that. I'm not sure what it was because I couldn't really hear or understand the words. And then she put something in a bag and had me bury it at a crossroads. And that wart was gone within two weeks. They were called upon to tend to the sick and dying and to deliver babies. They doused for water, ley lines, and energy vortexes when people were digging wells, planting a garden, or burying a loved one. They did anything that was connected with the earth. Even into the early 20th century, they relied on Mother Nature in a way that people in the cities did not. The Appalachian people believed that the wee people, or fairies and leprechauns, had followed them here from Scotland and Ireland, and they worked with them just as their ancestors did. For instance, they would put a bowl of cream or honey on the back doorstep or toss a bite of cornbread out the door before serving it to their families. Kimberly, we both had a Thelma. Really? My grandmother, whose name was Thelma, she would have been petrified if someone had called her a witch. She was very Methodist. Well, my Aunt Thelma would have felt the same way. She was a good old free will Baptist and would have been horrified at the notion of being called a witch. Every morning, the percolator was going at my grandmother's house, and all of the neighbors came by to have their coffee grinds read. Most mornings, it was two or three pots. Wow. And if there were cookies baking, they had the astrological signs carved in or an icing on top of the cookies for the people that were in the house. That is so cool. And when my uncle died, my grandmother was sitting at the table and she was going through what she needed to for the services and that type of thing. She had her eyes closed and was thinking about my uncle. And her hand started moving across the page of paper. And she looked down. And in my uncle's writing, he was writing her a letter. So automatic writing was something that occurred with her, too. That's incredible. She made corn husk dolls. Then in planting, according to the waxing or waning moon, she knew which it was when you dug a hole if you would not have enough dirt to fill or too much dirt to go back in. My father's family believed very much in planting by the moon phases, and that is something he stuck to every year when he gardened. Same there. And then the red geraniums and ferns planted. Whether or not she knew they were for protection, they were there. 
And then when she died, my sister was in the process of moving from California to West Virginia. She thought she had packed everything she needed, but she was desperately searching for her shoes for the funeral. And in a small town at that time, after six o'clock, there were no stores open. The next morning when she woke, she looked in the tiny closet and her shoes were there side by side, toes pointed out. And if you'd closed the door, the toes would have been touching the door. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. So Granny worked her magic even after death. She sure did. Her porch ceilings, along with my sister's, are painted haint blue. Haint is a term from the Old South for ghosts and evil spirits. The belief is haints are afraid of water and cannot cross water. Haint blue is a watery blue color. And it's a beautiful shade of blue. And we'll probably talk about that in another episode. I'm sure we will. Hoodoo is a magical practice. It's not a religion. Many people who practice it are Christians. Hoodoo and voodoo are not the same thing. Voodoo is what some people refer to as voodoo, but voodoo is a westernized, sometimes derogatory term. Hoodoo is a magical practice where voodoo is a religion. We have noticed that some people use these words interchangeably and mix them up, but it's important to recognize and respect each of these powerful practices. Hoodoo lacks a theological component. People can practice it while still having their own religious beliefs. It's an American folk magic tradition that began with black slaves who brought their beliefs and traditions with them from Africa. Some slaves were taught Christianity, others were not. Often the slaves had lost their own deities and some of their traditions. Hoodoo is a combination of traditions. The traditions the slaves were able to bring with them, combined with the Native American herbal use, plus some European traditions picked up from the white people. Hoodoo is still most often found in the South, although it has spread. It has evolved and grown as the country has grown. Hoodoo is sometimes called root work, conjure, or laying tricks. There's no room for improvising in hoodoo. Substituting is not effective. There are reasons why the spells work. Some modern practitioners will try to put their own spin on it, but serious practitioners do not. It's frowned upon. Any book written by Catherine Ironwood, and if you're looking for her books, her last name is spelt Y-R-O-N-W-O-D-E, is a great hoodoo resource. There's an overlap between hoodoo and witchcraft. It is one of those gray areas. Mojo bags and honey jars have become popular among witches, but they have their roots in hoodoo. You mentioned that voodoo and hoodoo are sometimes mixed up, and that's a really good point to make for people. We mention voodoo when looking at magical traditions and practices, not because it's a magical practice per se, but because voodoo and witchcraft do have some crossover. Again, that gray area in between that we've talked about. They share some common tools. Some voodoo practitioners also read tarot. Sally Ann Glassman, an American voodoo practitioner and artist, reads a crystal ball. Divination is important in voodoo and is also important in witchcraft. The two utilize many of the same forms of divination. And that brings us to witchcraft. 
the words witch and witchcraft mean different things to different people. Witchcraft is not easily defined, even by seasoned practitioners. It's basically the belief in and practice of magic. Some see being a witch as a natural state, working with the earth and the energies around us. Some see witchcraft as evil. Some see it as anything and everything in between. Those of us who have practiced the craft of the wise for a long time have our own personal ideas about what it means to be a witch. If you're just getting into witchcraft, you might find it interesting to think about what witchcraft means to you now. Maybe write it down so you can look back later and compare it to how you feel later on after years of learning and practice. Scott Cunningham, a Wiccan author, said, The practice of magic is not supernatural or satanic. Witches and folk magicians are only utilizing, through timeless rituals, natural energies found within the earth and our bodies to enrich life by creating positive change. And that's really a great description. Also, Scott Cunningham is a great source for reference books, whether you practice witchcraft or even bring in the elements of Wicca. Yes, he is a great resource. He wrote some really good books and died way too young. In a moment of curiosity, I googled what is witchcraft. Believe it or not, in 2015, only eight years ago, the first definition to pop up defined witchcraft as the practice of magic, especially black magic, the use of spells and the invocation of spirits. So there's still a dark cloud hanging over the craft, and it is only by spreading knowledge of who and what we really are that we can hopefully change that perception. Practicing the craft is tapping into the energies around you and combining them with your own energy and your own will to manifest, to create the reality you want, and hopefully to help others. These energies around you can include many things. The elements, air, fire, water, earth, and the elementals, the creatures associated with the elements, herbs, crystals, seashells, gods and goddesses, angels, your ancestors, spirits, animal guides, stars, the sun, the moon. Energy is everywhere and in everything. Witchcraft has been around probably about as long as humans have. It goes by different names in different cultures. What a Native American shaman was doing a thousand years ago here in North America probably wasn't very different from what a witch in Scotland was doing at that same time. The knowledge has been handed down throughout the ages. Some witches are born to witches and raised as witches. Some come to it later in life. Some were witches in past lives and have reincarnated to be a witch again. Sometimes it takes time to remember who we are, but we eventually work our way back to it. You can even see lingering bits of magic in family lineages where information was lost, but the practices are still around us today. A good example of that is red geraniums by the front door. My grandmother said she put them there because she had learned it from her mother, who learned it from her mother, but my grandmother didn't know why. We know that red geraniums are associated with protection and good health. It is believed by some that red geraniums by your front door will warn you if a stranger approaches. There are also certain herbs my grandmother told me to always have in my garden. And not all of them were culinary, so I know she was taught to grow those herbs 
for medicinal and possibly even magical reasons. My mother once said you should always grow hellebore in your garden, but she didn't know why. She just said that her grandmother grew hellebore and told her she should grow it too. Hellebore is a member of the deadly nightshade family, once a staple in a witch's garden. In witchcraft, there are many things that we do as a family tradition that the reasons why are lost to us. Wicca is fairly new, so there are reasons and methods around the things that are done. Witchcraft is a practice. Wicca is a religion. Some people use the words witch and Wiccan interchangeably, but they are not the same. Neither of us are Wiccan, so we only touch on the basics. In the 70s, many books did not differentiate between witchcraft and Wicca. They assumed if you were a witch that you were Wiccan. Wicca was founded in England by Gerald Gardner. It was introduced to the public in 1954. Witchcraft has been around for millennia, where Wicca is still relatively new. There is no central authority, and Wicca is very diverse. It is typically duotheistic, worshiping a god and goddess, which is traditionally viewed as the Lord and Lady. Gardner pulled much from witchcraft into Wicca. The overlap in beliefs and practices contributes to some people believing that they're one and the same. Wiccans celebrate the Wheel of the Year, which is in pagans have marked the passage of time and seasons by celebrating these festivals since early Celts. Some people might think either of us were Wiccan if they looked at our bookshelves. We simply have some books about Wicca because they offer excellent information about the craft. Wicca pulls in many traditional witchcraft practices, but they're not exclusive to Wicca. A key difference is the concept of what you do coming back to you. In Wicca, there is the threefold rule. What you do and put out into the world will come back to you times three. The Wiccan read... And ye harm none, do what ye will. Many witches simply believe that what you put out into the world comes back to you. They do not believe in the threefold rule. Many Wiccans work in covens, as you mentioned. And so I guess that brings us to the topic of solitary witches versus covens. A coven is a group of witches who gather together for rituals, magical workings, moon rituals, and such. They have established a trusting relationship with one another and work well together. Covens are not exclusive to Wicca, though. I know plenty of witches who are not Wiccan but are a part of a coven. A solitary witch is someone who practices their craft alone. Some witches work solely alone, some in covens, and some both. I'm a solitary witch, but I have a circle, a coven, if you will. We celebrate the Wheel of the Year together. And if one of us has a particular need or problem, we help with magical workings for that purpose. A solitary witch is a witch who works alone. This is really a good place to start, because if you do that for a while, you'll better be able to determine if you want to remain a solitary practitioner or become part of a coven. A secular witch is one who does not work with deities in their craft. An eclectic witch incorporates practices from a variety of magical traditions. A hereditary witch is born into a family that practices or had ancestors who practiced the craft, and so on. More recently, all of these things have led to many witches labeling themselves even more specifically based on their go-to or preferred magic. 
such as a crystal witch, an elemental witch, an herbal witch. You get the idea. That is an interesting concept, but I don't think we have to pigeonhole our magic. We don't have to use just crystals or just herbs unless it is something that we feel called to do or that we're very passionate about. Not all forms of magic are going to appeal to everyone. Likewise, witchcraft also offers us the opportunity to combine whatever of these pathways resonates with us. I personally love herbs and crystals, and I use both in my magic. I use lots of candles. Some people might say I'm a kitchen witch because I incorporate magic into my cooking, and I do love to feed people. I love to cook. Others might consider me a green witch because I do a lot of gardening and raise my own herbs and flowers and some foods. I do all types of gardening. I even like to grow banefuls and unusual plants in my yard. Work with whatever calls to you. For instance, you can work with the lunar phases, but you don't have to deep dive into astrology if it doesn't resonate with you. It's all up to you. Work with whatever resonates with you. And you know, I have found in my own practice that it changes. So I go through periods where I get real excited about crystals and I will be buying crystals or I find certain stones when I'm out walking through the woods or something and I'll incorporate them into my practice. And then maybe in the spring when I'm planting my garden, I might be a little more excited about herbs and work with herbs a little more at that time. Let's just say that a friend or a family member might be sick and you might feel called to make a mojo bag for them. And you can incorporate all kinds of things into a mojo bag. And we, we do candle spells and witch jars. And there are just so many things. So like you said earlier, Sophie, let's just not pigeonhole ourselves into any kind of category. Be open to all the many things we can do with witchcraft. In witchcraft, there are many tools. However, you, yourself, are the strongest and only tool needed. Oh, that is so true. And I think a lot of people don't realize it. One thing to remember is you don't have to, to spend money to be a witch. You don't have to have a garden to be a witch. Just your intention to be a witch is, is the biggest part of the equation. So we do have a little bit of advice for new witches. You don't have to follow the rule of three. You don't need to be religious. You do not have to worship a deity. You don't have to have a fancy book of shadows or grimoire. You don't need fancy tools to practice the craft. Remember that learning takes time. And patience. Yes. And work. It takes energy. So don't give up. Stay the course. And we're going to be here to help you along the way. We hope you learned a little bit today. And we thank you for spending some time with us. Please join us for our next episode when we will talk about magical tools.